Welcome to the Community Fellowship Podcast, your way to stay connected with biblically-themed messages, discussions, and interviews from Community Fellowship in East Bernard, Texas. Learn more about our church at the cfeb.church website, check us out on social media at CF East Bernard, or attend an in-person service at 635 Main Street in East Bernard. We are a local church that works to make the love of Christ for all humanity known to our community and the world. Thanks for tuning in and enjoy this week's content. Well, uh, a mom had been in a kitchen for over an hour and she started to smell something burning. And so she yells to the living room to her 11-year-old. She says, Tess, can you get the bread out of the oven? Tess responds, huh? Her eyes glazed, glazed over, fixated on the TV. She didn't even look in the direction of the kitchen. Mom says, never mind, puts on the oven mitt, grabs the oven out of, I mean, grabs the bread out of the oven. And at that moment, dad comes walking through the door. The dog, which had been sitting underneath the table, the kitchen table, darts and he knocks over a chair, which knocks one of the plates onto the ground. It shatters. Mom, who has just taken a pair of some pasta sauce, and she's putting it over somewhere else, she drops it because she's startled, and it spills all over the ground. She does the best she can to pick it back up. Finally, everybody sits down at the dinner table, and little Johnny, four-year-old Johnny, says, I don't want paschetti. Dad says, well, you're going to eat it whether you like it or not. And just at that moment, Jenna, the now junior in high school, starts to walk upstairs answering her phone. And the last thing that they hear as she goes up into the distance is, no way. Sound familiar? <laughs> sounds like my house. I know that. It sounds completely like my house. Well, this morning, we're going to be beginning a new series called The Table. And we're going to look at the significance of mealtime fellowship in the life of our families with our neighbors, with our church family, and then even we're going to close it out looking at how the table impacts our future. So along with this series, as you heard Tim say just a few minutes ago, uh, I have encouraged and invited you guys to be intentional this month by inviting someone over to your house, a family over to your house that maybe you don't know very well, uh, maybe they're new to the area, or maybe they're somebody that's you know, just right down the street and you just don't know them, you know? Uh, but invite them over and just have a meal. And I don't want you to think that this has to be anything complicated, all right? That's not what we're saying. I'm not saying, like, you need to get out the fine china and get it all ready or anything like that. I just want us as a church to be intentional about loving our neighbors around us. And so that's kind of my reason for encouraging you to do this, all right? And I think what we're going to see over this series is that this is kind of the heart of God. God is intentional in the way that he's loved us, but he also moves through his people to intentionally love those around them. And so my prayer is for us as a church that that's going to be our heart, that it wouldn't just be for this month, but that we'll continually be reaching out to our neighbors with grace and with love. Okay. Now this morning, we're going to be in the Old Testament book of Exodus. So if you want to start making your way over there, we're going to be in Exodus. We're going to be in chapter 31. Now, last week, we kind of looked at some natural times in our day 
for discipling our children. You might remember that. And we, we looked at a couple of different times, and one of those happened to be the time when we come to the table. And, and so we, we gave a few things that we can do during that time. But I want us to understand today is we're going to take a little bit deeper dive for ourselves as families and what the table should be for us. But I, I want you to see that it's not just for our kids, but it's also for us as adults. Okay, these are going to be things that are for us as adults as well. And so my hope is that by the end of our time together this morning, that we're going to look at the Jewish Sabbath meal as an example for exactly what place the table should have for each of our families as well. Okay, so let's read together. We're going to start in verse 12 of chapter 31. Then the Lord said to Moses, say to the Israelites, you must observe my Sabbaths. This will be a sign between me and you for the generations to come, so you may know that I am the Lord who makes you holy. Observe the Sabbath because it is a holy to you. Anyone who desecrates it is to be put to death. Those who do any work on that day must be cut off from their people. For six days work is to be done, but the seventh day is a day of Sabbath rest, holy to the Lord. Whoever does any work on the Sabbath day is to be put to death. The Israelites are to observe the Sabbath, celebrating it for the generations to come as a lasting covenant. It will be a sign between me and the Israelites forever. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, and on the seventh day he rested and was refreshed. Okay, so let's kind of frame up what's going on here. Now Moses, um, in this pretty grave instruction, it's pretty rough when you hear twice, put them to death if they don't obey this command, right? That's pretty rough. Um, but th- this whole thing this is the book of Exodus, right? And the book of Exodus, while it's in the law and it's part of the Torah, those first five books of the Old Testament, it's also a little bit about the history of Israel, specifically them being freed as slaves in Egypt. And so God goes through some pretty extraordinary links to free them from Egypt. You might remember this, right? He goes through the 10 plagues, each of which is aimed actually towards an Egyptian deity that God's saying, I'm better than you, basically. Um, But God rescues his people in the midst of this. But God doesn't just deliver the people out of Pharaoh's hands. He's also beginning the process of making them his distinct people. Now, if I were to ask you, hey, how did Superman come to be? Right? I'm sure most of you would be like, okay, well, His planet of Krypton was being destroyed, and because his parents loved him, they wanted to send him away and kind of rescue him, so they sent him to the the habitable place of Earth where he came, he crash-landed in the middle of Kansas, and the Kents took him in, right? Or if I were to ask you, okay, Spider-Man, how does Spider-Man get his powers? I'm sure you'd be like, well, he was bit by a radioactive spider, and therefore he has... He has this spidey sense that he can have precognitive ability and he has superhuman powers. Because we all know our superheroes' origin stories, right? We all know where they came to be. Well, that's the same thing that's going on right here in the book of Exodus is that we are getting the origin story of God's people, Israel, because they are children of Abraham. They are people of faith. They are people destined to inherit a land that God has promised to them. But most importantly... They are a people that serves a powerful God who loves and rescues them. And as part of that, God establishes this covenant. We've talked about this quite a few few weeks. 
He establishes this covenant that helps recognize and say, this is a special and distinct relationship between me as God and you as Israel. This is a special relationship specifically for them coming out of Egypt and then enter the law. Okay, so the law is something that's going to set them apart. And that's exactly what Moses is receiving as we're reading Exodus 31. He is receiving the law. Now, Moses is going to come, he's going to give 613 commandments to the Israelites. But you and I probably are familiar with the Big Ten, right? We're familiar with the Ten Commandments. And that's literally what he's going to be holding as he comes down right after this passage concludes that we just read. It says, Moses went down the mountain with the Ten Commandments in his hand, right? So he's going to be walking down there. And th- these Ten Commandments are special because they kind of set apart what it looks like. Now, I, does, anybody, does anybody know all ten of them like off the top of your head? Can you do them in order? That's an even better question. See, that's a hard one, right? So the way that I always remember it is I always remember that the first four have to do with our relationship with God, and then the last six have to do with our relationship with others. But I love this country version, so I'm going to read this country version to you, okay? Sorry if I kind of slip into my southern boy, okay? Only one God. No idols. Y'all don't cuss. Get to Sunday meeting. Honor your ma and pa. Best not kill. No fooling around with another fella's gal. Ought not steal, mustn't favor gossip, and don't hanker for friends' things. I like those. I like those a lot. Now, these laws have been so instrumental within our Western society that actually until 2005, when the Supreme Court made this decision, they were prominently put up in most of the courthouses in the United States, in, in the states, uh, in the nation. They were, they were prominently displayed. Um, and I would venture to say that the last five in particular have made such a contribution, have made a major contribution into our legal system here in the United States. However, the one throughout both the Old Testament and the New Testament that seems to get the most airtime is not the ones that you would think. It's not those last five. It's actually number four. Let's look at what it says. Number four, remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Now, you might remember this is what gets Jesus in trouble left and right in the New Testament. He healed on the Sabbath. He taught on the Sabbath. He worked on the Sabbath because he picked a little bit of grain, right? He gets in trouble because of the Sabbath day. It was something that was important to them. And even in the Old Testament, the prophets are left and right accusing the Israelites of not obeying the Sabbath either. I mean, there's one time where Jeremiah actually, he scolds the people saying, you're bringing in these heavy, you're heavy, carrying heavy loads in through the gates on Sabbath day. This is an abuse of Sabbath. Because for the Israelites, it was a day that was set apart. It was supposed to be holy and distinct. It was the one that was literally going to set them apart from all the other nations that they were going into this land to receive from. It was going to set them apart. They were the only nation that didn't work on one day of the week. But unfortunately, it becomes a place of judgment as we hear from Isaiah and Jeremiah in the Old Testament. And it's, it's funny to me how we've actually turned the opposite way now, right? Because the Israelites, they started to respect it, and that's why they abused Jesus in the New Testament, because they are saying, you can't break the Sabbath. But now we've kind of turned the opposite way, and we're like, Sabbath? What's that? What's Sabbath? We don't think of day of rest. I mean, it's so laughable that even when a company says, hey, we're going to let our employees off on Sunday, we're not going to have them open the whole week, we're going to give them the day off. All the other organizations in the fast food restaurant, hint, hint, 
say, you're crazy. You're crazy. Why is it that this has become the way that it is? I don't understand. Yet of all those laws, 613, the 10 big ones, of all those, look at the one that God chooses to reiterate to Moses coming down the mountain. Look at verse 17. It will be a sign between me and the Israelites forever. For in six days, the Lord made the heavens and the earth. And on the seventh day, he rested and was refreshed. So to God, this law is so important that he's going to reiterate that to Moses before he goes back down to be with God's people. And God says, because I rested, my people need to take their cue from my own behavior and they need to rest as well. Now, hopefully you've seen this in our last few messages, but there's kind of been this constant refrain that I've had. We've been looking at the character of God, and then I've said we need to reflect that character. Who God is is who we're supposed to be. So if we see that God's compassionate, we're a people who are compassionate. If we see that God is merciful, then we should be a people who are merciful. If we, like last week, if God is faithful, then we should be a people who are faithful, right? Catch this one. If God rested, we should rest. See, we take our cues from God's character. That's what we've got to understand. I can't tell you how many times this has happened. I'll be talking with somebody, and they just look wore out. I mean, you can tell that they have been just through the ringer, you know, so many things that are going on in their life. And I'll look at them, and I'll say, man, you just look like you need a day of rest. You just, you just need to take a day off and just rest. And it's crazy to me how many times I get the same response. I just got too much going on. I can't do that. What, what is it in our culture? Why is it that we can't take a break? Why are we so obsessed with busyness? I don't get it. I don't understand. It's like the busier you are, the better you are. I don't think that that's true. But I, I love what author and pastor John Mark Comer says in his book, The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. Here's what he says. How we spend our time is how we spend our lives. It is who we become. So here's my question. What are you becoming? What are you becoming? Are you a workaholic? Are you a deviceaholic? Are you a mediaaholic? And if we're all the complaining that we do about our kids on their devices, I wonder if we just stopped and we looked at our own screen time, what it might tell us about ourselves. See, if how we spend our time is what we become, then there's far too many kids that are growing up having seen their parents become distant, busy, and self-absorbed. I remember distinctly a few years ago, one of my daughters came up to me and I was working on something at the house and she said, hey dad, do you have a few minutes? Can you play with me? I said, just a few minutes. Give me just a few minutes, sweetheart. Give me a few minutes and I will definitely come play with you. Those few minutes turned into the rest of the day. We have to take time to rest. And I think that there is no better place than developing a ritual for rest than at our tables. Our tables should be a place of rest for our families. It should be a place where we can just put up our feet and relax. 
In fact, knowing how they too had abused the Sabbath, the Jews developed a modern-day Sabbath ritual that revolved around three meals. The first and the primary one was often called the Shabbat or the Shabbat meal. And I, I want us to look at this example. I want us to look at the Shabbat meal for how we as families can actually learn how to rest a little bit better. Okay? So here's how they would begin. Typically, a Shabbat meal would begin with the lighting of a couple of candles. I kind of signified that the day of, of rest had begun and that it was set apart. Now, here's what I, I think. I think maybe instead of lighting something, maybe we should delight something. Maybe it needs to be delighting the TV, delighting the tablet, delighting the phone. Turn it off. Turn it off. I love how one of, the, one of the bloggers that I was reading, I love what she said. These are her rules for the table. No nagging, no judgment, no phones. Pretty simple rules. Now, after they lit the, the candles, then they would sing two songs. And the first song was just kind of a song of blessing over the day, but the second song was a blessing over the woman of the house. It was a blessing over the woman of the house. You know, one of the words that I think that we've lost in our culture is this word blessing. I don't know about you, but like when I was growing up, blessing was synonymous with basically the prayer over the meal. Is that kind of how it was for you? Like that, that's what I thought blessing was. A blessing was what you said over the meal, right? But what's interesting is we look at this blessing that they would sing over the wives. I, I want to read this to you because it comes straight from Proverbs 31. This is the blessing that they will sing. Now, hang with me because it's a little bit long, but I want you to hear it. It's such a beautiful blessing. So Proverbs 31. A wife of noble character, who can find? She's worth far more than rubies. Her husband has full confidence in her and lacks nothing of value. She brings him good, not harm, all the days of her life. She selects wool and flax and works with eager hands. She's like the merchant ships bringing her food from afar. She gets up while it's still night, and she provides food for her family and portions for her female servants. She considers a field and buys it, and out of her earnings, she plants a vineyard. She sets about her work vigorously. Her arms are strong for her tasks. She sees that her trading is profitable, and her lamp does not go out at night. In her hand, she holds the distaff and grasps the spindle with her fingers. She opens her arms to the poor and extends her hands to the needy. When it snows, she has no fear for her household, for all of them are clothed in scarlet. She makes coverings for her bed. She's clothed in fine linen and purple. Her husband's respected at the city gate where he takes his seat among the elders of the land. She makes linen garments and sells them and supplies the merchants with sashes. She's clothed in strength and dignity. She can laugh at the days to come. She speaks with wisdom and faithful instruction is on her tongue. She watches over the affairs of her household and does not eat the bread of idleness. Her children arise and call her blessed. Her husband also, he praises her. Many women do noble things, but you surpass them all. Charm is deceitful and beauty is fleeting, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Honor her for all that her hands have done and let her works bring her praise at the city gate. A few years ago, um, at a church that I was serving, they were hosting a date night. Um, and, and they do such an incredible job. It was so much fun. And it's very similar to something that we're going to be doing here in April. 
but it was just a fun night. The DJs that night were great. They were just hilarious and all the things they were talking about. There's some fun giveaways that they had given away. And dinner was great, just sitting there with some other couples, just having a good time and talking. And, and then the pastor got up and he you know, started kind of giving the, the message for that, uh, that evening. And as he gets into it, he asks us to do something very kind of awkward. He said, I want you to turn your chairs and face your spouse. So we kind of do that. He said, grab their hands. So we're grabbing hands. And he says, I want you to say something that you love about your spouse. And listen, I don't remember what I said. I'm going to be completely honest with you. I have no idea what I said, but I do remember how my wife responded. She was in tears. They weren't tears of sadness. They were tears of happiness. And I realized that I am supposed to speak blessing over my wife, and I had not been doing that. And so that moment was a time where I spoke blessing over her, and she was able to receive it. I, I wonder, husbands, when's the last time that you sat down, you looked in your wife's eyes, and you just praised her? When's the last time that you just expressed how grateful you are for all that she does, for your family and for you? Because she needs to hear it. And the truth is, your children do too. Now, maybe that's not something that you do every time you sit down for dinner, and I'm not trying to suggest that, okay? But maybe once a week, it's blessing night. And maybe it moves not just from your wife, but maybe it moves to the other people in your house. And you spend that evening just saying things that you love about that person to build them up and to bless them with your words. And you just take turns throughout the month with who it's going to be. Think about this. The table is the only piece of furniture. It's the only piece of furniture in our homes where we purposely gather around it and face one another. It was meant not just for sharing a meal, but for sharing in one another. The table for our families, it's got to be a place of blessing. Now, after these blessings are sung, it's time to eat. And most of the Jewish homes, they would have at least two or three courses, and then they'd have a dessert after that, all right? So it's a good time of eating lots of good food. Um, you know, when we were doing the Q&A a couple of weeks ago, uh, we were talking about relationships, and, and Tim got up here. He said, hey, what's your love language? And I, you know, I told him what my love language is. And so, and some of you guys are probably familiar with that book, Gary, Gary Thomas's, uh, excuse me, Gary Chapman's book, uh, Five Love Languages, uh, where he goes through and he kind of goes through each one of them. Uh, here's what I'm convinced of. I'm convinced of that he left one out. This is, this is through a lot of my research, uh, plenty of research that I've done on this. He left one out. Food is one of them, all right? Food is absolutely one of them, okay? And here's why, here's what, here's why I think that, okay? Because I think food is actually God's love language. I think it is. Think about this. The human mouth has 10,000 taste buds. Why? Why did God didn't have to do that? He didn't have to make it to where we actually enjoyed our food. We could be like the rest of animals who just take food in to fuel our bodies, right? But that's not what he does. And here's the reason why. And this is a great theological quote. I want you to remember this for the rest of your lives, okay? This is what one theologian said. He said, because God loves us. I agree with him 100%. Because he loves us. He loves when we delight in the things that he's made. He loves when we delight in his creation and all the flavors that come together in a really good meal. But listen to this ancient mealtime prayer. Blessed are you, O Lord, King 
of the universe. For you gave us food to sustain our lives and make our hearts glad. Did you catch that last part? To make our hearts glad. That's what food is for. So the table for our families should also be a place of joy. A place of joy. So when we sit down with our family, the food should be enjoyable, the people should be enjoyable, and the conversation should be enjoyable. And that's exactly what happens for the Jews during Shabbat meal. The family and any other guests that are invited, they just enjoy being together, sharing stories, telling jokes, singing songs. It's a time of fun and joy. And the whole meal, the whole meal is meant to be restorative. See, that to the Jews, that's what Shabbat means. That's what it is. It's about being restored to wholeness after a long work week, that you come together and rest and you're restored. Now look back at verse 17, because I want you to see something. The very end of it, the reason why God takes his own Sabbath, he rested and was refreshed. Refreshed. Every one of us needs that. Every one of us needs to be refreshed right? Refreshed from the worries and problems and concerns that are going on in life all around us. So let the table be that for you. Now, maybe as you're thinking about a meal together, you immediately start getting stressed out. You're thinking about all the preparations that have to be made, right? Try something new. If your kids are old enough, have them come into the kitchen and help you. Give them a responsibility. Give them a task that they can be a part of. If they're too young, then let them be a part of being able to plan the menu with you, right? And then if you're really worried about the dishes, have somebody each night, right? You're assigned this week. This is your dishes. Next week, it'll be somebody else. Or maybe you're just starting out. Maybe you're just starting out with this. You're like, you know, that, that's really hard for us. We've never really come to the table and sat together to have time like that. Then you know what? Don't worry about the meal at all. Just order pizza. Order pizza, sit down together as a family, and enjoy one another. Laugh, play games, joke. Like that is what it's supposed to be about. Because I fully believe that the table can be a place of wholeness and restoration for us. If we'll make it a priority, if we'll make it a priority. Now, now maybe this is too difficult to do on a regular basis. I totally get it. Totally understand, you know. It's going to take a while for it to become a habit. So here's what you do. Let me just encourage you, just do one meal a week together. Just make that the important one. Let your kids know this is going to be an important meal. We're all going to be together. No going off to friend's house this day or whatever. We're all going to be together. We're going to have dinner together. We're going to have a meal together. Maybe it's not dinner. Maybe it's breakfast. Truthfully, the DeWitts, we love ourselves some Saturday morning breakfasts. All right? I was telling somebody the other day, I can't wait till we get here because I have boxed up right now a griddle, like one of those big old griddles, and I haven't been able to use it, and I can't wait to cook some bacon and some eggs and some sausage on that bad boy, and for us just to rest on a Saturday morning. It's one of our favorite things to do. So maybe it's not during the evening. Maybe it's in the morning that you just have one of these meals where you just sit down together. And listen, it's going to be countercultural. When you start to do this, it's going to be very, it's going to feel a little bit weird for us because we're Westerners. But it's also going to be weird for people around you. If you're like, no, we, I can't do it that day because we've got this special meal that we have together. You can't skip it one time. Well, we really try not to because it's a, 
special thing for us. Like, we love being together and enjoying one another. So it's going to feel a little bit weird, but you know what? That's exactly why God gave the Sabbath to the Jews, so that they would look different. They were supposed to be set apart, and this was one of the things that set them apart. Look at what it says. This will be a sign between me and the Israelites forever. God says to the Israelites, this is going to be a sign between me and you forever. Now, I know we're not the Israelites. We're people of the new covenant, but we can take these principles and these things that we see in this, and we can learn how to be set apart in it. Now, here's what's really cool. So the Sabbath as a whole for the Jewish people was fundamental to their culture. And then what's really amazing about it is that within the law, God layers Sabbath on top of Sabbath. Okay? So the first one, which we've been talking about, is on the seventh day, every week, they had it set apart and they rested. But then, also within the year, they had seven annual feasts. They had a Sabbath of feasts where they would come together as a community and they would celebrate the works of God and what God had done. Then every seven years, the whole community of Israel that they, they were commanded to liberate their slaves and to let the land rest for a whole year. And then seven times seven was an absolutely special year. It was called the year of Jubilee, and all debts were forgiven. Any land that had been seized was given back to the person it belonged to. All of this, though, was all of it was pointing forward to the ultimate and great future rest that was found in Jesus. Because listen to this, even Jesus declared his mission and his purpose on a Sabbath day. Listen to what he says. The spirit of the Lord is on me because he's anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. See, Jesus is what Sabbath is all about. In Jesus, we have rest from trying to earn God's love. We're restored and, and complete and whole in our relationship that we, were supposed to make, that we were supposed to have with him. In Jesus, we're blessed by becoming God's children, no matter how rich or how poor we are. And in Jesus, we find complete joy because we have been freed from our sin. Maybe this morning you've come in and you're thinking there's no way that Jesus could care anything about you. You've sinned way too much. Um, you've, you've messed things up way too bad. I have really good news. Jesus loved to share the table with sinners. In fact, he got in trouble for it. But he loved sitting at the table with sinners. Or, or maybe this morning you've come in and you have so much on your mind. There's just so much things that you're thinking about. It's, just, it's almost overwhelming and debilitating. Jesus is asking you this. Hey, pull up a chair. Come sit down. Let's talk about it and let me take it from you. Let me take your anxieties. Let me take your worries. No matter how you came in this morning, there is room table. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you so much for who you are, that you're a God that in your wisdom, you set aside a day for your people Israel to be an example, even for us as new covenant people, to rest, 
to be restored. And I pray that we would hear this morning and take the example of that Shabbat meal and that we would find a place of rest and blessing and joy for our families as we set apart just one, one meal during our week to enjoy being together as a family. God, because we know that your love will come through in this very unique time. Father, we love you. We thank you for what Jesus has done, that he is our ultimate Sabbath rest. We pray this all in his name. If you have questions about this week's message or would like to start a conversation with someone about what it means to walk with Christ, please email pastor at cfeb.church. You can find earlier episodes of our podcast on our website at cfeb.church, where you can also give online to help support community fellowship in our mission to reflect and share Christ's love. We can also be found on many major distribution platforms like Apple Podcasts, where you can subscribe to stay connected. Thank you again for listening. Now go out and love one another like Jesus did.